Do you love that clapping? I do, I do. It's, it's really a beautiful thing to be able to do that. To be able to, uh, the Bible says that we should praise the Lord with all of our, all of our being, right? So, uh, you know, we can clap, we can sing, we can shout to the Lord, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. So, one more time, welcome to Grace Norwalk. We are in our fifth week uh, on a series that we started a few weeks ago uh, on Proverbs, on the book of Proverbs. Uh, and uh, one of the, the main purpose in, 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 in the main purpose in this series is to help each one of us to learn how to walk in wisdom, learn how to do things better, how to get things be- done better in our lives, so we can be so it can be a blessing to us, but we can be a blessing to our families too, and to the people around us. So we have talked about the importance of wisdom. Wisdom is not, we have talked about the fact that wisdom is not just uh, information, but wisdom is when you apply that information that you have, you apply it in your life, you make it part of your life. Uh, We have also talked about how, you know, how do we use wisdom when we use our words? Um, You know, a, a wise way to live is being careful with our words. Uh, you know, when, what you say, how you say it and when you say it is important. So we talk about that one week. And the week after that, we talk about the importance of wisdom when we listen. Not when we hear, but when we listen. Because hearing and listening are two different things. And if we are going to be wise in a way of living, we are going to learn. We have to learn to listen and to listen well to other people. And last week, we were talking about what the book of Proverbs tells us about anger. Now today... We are in the fifth week, and we're going to talk about a subject that not a lot of us like. Not a lot of us like this subject. We're going to talk about the sin of pride. So quiet. Whoo! Scary. Let's sing again, brother. <laughs> to preach on pride is difficult. To preach on pride is difficult. Let me tell you why. Because nobody thinks... They are prideful. Nobody sees themselves in this topic. Pope Gregory the Great, at the end of the 6th century, he took all the sins that were listed in the Bible and placed them under seven headings, and he called them, he, he called them the seven deadly sins. You know what was at the top of that list? Pride. Pride. Most people agree that it is the, the most deadly sin. Um, of the seven deadly sins, um, theologians and philosophers reserve a special place for, place for pride. Lost. People deal with loss, anger, envy, greed, gluttony, slot. They're, they're all bad. All these sins are bad, but the scholars say the pride is the deadliest of all those sins. The root of all evil and the beginning of sin stands with pride. Pride has been called the sin from which all other sins arise. That was the very first sin in history, Satan. That was the very first sin in, 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 from a human being too. Adam and Eve, they sinned because of pride. They wanted to have the same knowledge God had and their pride got us to where we are now. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, 
He's got a chapter called The Greatest Sin in the World. And, and, and The Greatest Sin in the World, he titled uh, this chapter The Greatest Sin in the World, but he talks through the whole chapter, he talks about pride. He talks about pride. And when he gets to the end of the chapter, uh, th- this is how he summarized that chapter. If you have read this and you are convinced that it doesn't apply to you, well, it does apply to you then. If you're convinced that this doesn't apply to you, that means you must be the most prideful person in the world. Because pride, pride, why are we studying pride? Because pride is the foundation of everything else that is going wrong in our lives. I'm going to say it again. Pride is the foundation of everything else that is going wrong in our lives. But a lot of times it's hard to accept that. It's hard to understand. It's hard to to, to accept that and to really work in this stuff. And so we're in the book of Proverbs, and I promise we will be looking at some Proverbs uh, through this morning. We will be looking at some Proverbs, but we're going to do that towards the end this time. And we're going to be looking at warnings and Proverbs about pride, but we're going to start with an illustration. I want to start talking about an illustration about pride with a story from one of the most amazing books in the Old Testament. And every time you hear me talking about a book in the Old Testament, you'll hear me say it's one of the most amazing books, right? But this one is amazing. It's the book of Esther. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book of Esther. And a lot of times, people focus on Esther and the queen. Now, today we're going to focus on other guy, and a couple of more guys in that book. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to follow me, because I'm not a very good, good storyteller. But try to follow me. Hopefully, I won't lose you in, 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 uh, in the middle of this. But I'm going to give you about five, maybe six scenes of this book. And then at the end, we're just going to come back and we're going to look at what Proverbs says. How do we apply Proverbs into that specific situation? Uh, So scene number one, after the Babylonian king, uh, there was a stronger empire that came and and conquered Babylon. You remember King Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar was the, the most powerful empire back in those days, the Babylonian empire. Then they were overtaken, they were over, uh, they took over Persia and Media, the empire of Persia and Media took over the Babylonian empire. And so in Esther chapter 1, we, we can read, if we read the whole chapter, we can read that the king, King Xerxes, was a very powerful king. He reigned over 127 providences. From India, all the way from India to Ethiopia, 127 providences. And the third year of his reign, he invited, he was so powerful, that the third year of his reign, he invited the most important people of the whole kingdom. And, and he invited them to celebrate, just to, just to, he just threw a party, a simple party that lasts 180 days. What a party, right? That was a simple party. So right after that one, and this is just with the important people of the kingdom, right after that party, he invited every single person for the next, next party. The next party was only going to be seven days. And, and it was all you, can, all you can drink, all you can eat is one of those that I like going to. Now, and, and so everybody had no limits on the drinking, no limits on the food. It was great. So the king had to choose. Something happened in that process of the first three chapters. He loses his queen. He actually dismisses his queen. And now he has to choose a new queen. 
And the woman he chooses, he doesn't know who she really is. Oh, he, oh, he, he falls in love with her because he, he sees her, how beautiful she was, how well taken care she was, and how humble she was before him. So he falls in love with her, and that name of the woman is the name of the book. She's Esther. And Esther had been, had been adopted by her older cousin, because her parents had died. Her cousin was named Mordecai, and Mordecai had, adopt, had to adopt Esther. And they were Jews. They were Jews. And Jewish people were not very respected. They did not get respect from these other people in the kingdom. So Mordecai, who was... Esther's cousin, now adopted dad, had told Esther, you know, if the king chooses you as a queen, do not say anything about your background. Don't tell the king that you are a Jew. So Esther became a queen, and she listened well to her dad. So one day Mordecai, her adopted uh, dad, was walking, and uh, he was just, I can imagine him walking in the street and just overheard this, uh, the, one of the two closest, uh, two closest servants of the king plotting against the king. They were mad against the king, and they were plotting against the king. They wanted to kill the king. So Mordecai, so now Esther was the new queen. And Mordecai went to Esther and sent a message to Esther and told her about the plot that the king was uh, going to be going through and give her the information through a messenger. So in chapter 2, verse 22, it says that she told the king about it and give Mordecai credit for the report. So she made sure that he, she told the king, I'm giving you credit for the... Uh, I'm giving, uh, she, she made sure that she told the king who gave her the message and give, her, give credit to Mordecai for bringing the report. So in verse 23, it says that when invest, that, that there was an investigation going on, and when the investigation was made, and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled. And, uh, and on a sharpened pole, uh, there, this was all recorded in the book of the history of King Circe's reign. So it came in the minutes. It's official. It came in the minutes, it came in the books, it's a history, it's part of history that Mordecai has saved the king's life. But guess what? Normally in those days, people will be recognized. People will be rewarded for what happened. So the king was so busy that he forgot to send the thank you card. Have you ever forget to send the thank you card? Uh-huh. Have you ever forget to send that Christmas card? Oh man, I forgot. So this is scene number one. So the king forgot about Mordecai. So scene number two, this happens nine years later. So nine years go by, and in chapter three, it says that sometime later, verse one, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted a man named Haman. And, and, and this guy was over all the nobles in the kingdom, and he was the most powerful man after the king. After King Xerxes and the whole empire, this guy, Haman, was the most powerful man. So in verse 2, it says that all the king's officials will bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. It's interesting. Because then, check this, check this out. The, red, the words in red, they're highlighted in red. It says, for the king had commanded... Now, what's interesting here, and a lot of scholars will think the same way, is that it was normal in those cultures that when somebody had that kind of position, you did not have to be commanded to bow down before them. It was a normal thing. You were supposed to bow down before them no matter what. It was automatic. 
So it has been said that it was probably Haman who asked the king to make sure that he asked everybody to bow down before him. He was prideful. He was arrogant. And therefore, because of his arrogance, Mordecai, who was a godly man, who was Esther's father now, Mordecai refused. It says at the end of that verse, the Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Interesting. Then the palace officials were at the gate with Mordecai every day. And they would see that they would, they would get up when they see Haman and they would bow down and show him respect and all that stuff that Haman wanted to get. And Mordecai wouldn't do it. So these guys that were at the gate with Mordecai, they, they, they began asking Mordecai, Hey, what's going on with you? How come you're not bowing down to, the, to, to, to Haman? He's the second after the king. And, 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 and then they came, they, they went on for days and days telling him the same thing, telling Mordecai, why aren't you doing this? And then he went, they went to, to Haman and basically told Haman, Hey Haman, have you noticed that this guy, we get up, we bow down before you, and, and we respect you and all that stuff. And, um, and Mordecai's not doing it. So Haman got really angry, and in verse 5 of chapter 3, it says that when Haman saw that Mordecai wouldn't bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. Imagine, this is, this is what pride does. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews. Through the entire empire of Cersus. So, because he doesn't show me respect, because I'm hurt. And, and, and now, let me, let me tell you something. This guy, Haman, when somebody's going to show you respect, you don't need to ask for respect. When somebody's going to show you respect, they're going to show you respect, you know, no matter what. But when you have to ask, when you have to force people to respect you, to show you, to bow down before you or stuff like that, nowadays we don't, we don't, we don't see that much unless you're from a different culture. Um, but Haman was so angry. And now he, he doesn't want to hurt, he, he doesn't want to hurt just Mordecai. He wants to hurt every single Jew in the kingdom. I mean, that's how far pride goes. That's how far, that's how, uh, that's how much damage pride can do. This guy was prideful and he was hurt. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes, uh, lots were caused uh, in Haman's presence. So basically, there was some type of lottery, raffle type of thing that it was done. And then whoever wins, uh, you know, it was given a prize that they can choose uh, something to, a petition. They can do a petition, bring a petition before the king. And the king was going to do it for them. And, and so, more, uh, Haman won that stuff. And, and when Haman won, and the, the, the luck, he was... You know, everything fall on him. He said, I want something to happen on March 7. Nearly a year later after lots were cast for him. So Haman won basically the raffle. Haman won the lottery and won the petition to the king. So what's going, what was Haman going to ask? He is manipulating the situation. Now he's not just hurt because of his pride. But because of his pride now he's thinking, how can I ask the king? 
How can I manipulate stuff? Pride will make you manipulate things around. And if you know somebody who is very manipulative, it's because of pride. Pride is the root of the sin of a person manipulating things. So remember, I just said this is nine years later after Mordecai has saved the king. So Haman approached the king and said, verse 8, There are certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of the empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. Now, remember, they were not refusing to obey the king. It was just Mordecai who was bowing before him. So when a person is so prideful and they want to get their way, they find a way to manipulate stuff. So that's what Haman was doing here. So he's exaggerating everything. Have you ever met somebody who likes to exaggerate things? Oh, I can't believe you did this. You hurt me so much. You exaggerate. And they exaggerate. And it's pride. It's at work. And so he goes, you know what? Uh, these people, they... And so it is not, the king, it is not in the king's interest um, to let them live. Verse 9. If it please the king, issue a decree that they will, they will be destroyed. And I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver. So he's like, king... It's not just because I want. I want this to happen a year from now on March 7. But also, besides the fact that I want, I'll pay for it. So the king is like, this is the deal. So this is how much pride was eating this guy up. Pride will eat you up. So he's willing to pay. He's willing to pay 10,000 large sacks, large sacks of silver to the government administrator to be deposited in the royal treasury just to get his way. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring. So the ring that the king used to sign, he removed it from his finger and gave it to Haman. Basically, the king is telling him, you know what? You got all the power. You, I'm giving you the power of the kingdom, basically. So, whatever you write, whatever law, whatever decree, it goes. It's like if I say it, I, if I myself say it. So, what he did in his schedule that on March 7 of the next year, when he was supposed to get his, pri- his prize, um, he asked, for all the people to kill the Jewish people in all 127 uh, 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 towns. And wh- whoever you kill, whatever they possess, if you kill that person, that, they, that belongs to you now. So everybody who was not a Jew was excited about this. I mean, this is what pride is leading this guy to do. The property of the Jews will, be, Jews will be given to you, whoever killed them. He was planning to kill all the Jews because his pride was hurt. And in that same chapter, the king commands a decree, and the messengers went and gave the decree everywhere. So that's, uh, Haman was being proud, he was being arrogant. So that's scene number two. Scene number three. I, I, want, you to pay more, I want you to pay attention to Mordecai's reaction. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, that when Mordecai learned about all that had been done, all the Jewish people were going to die, he tore his clothes and put burlap and ashes, and went out into the city 
crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. What I want you to notice here is that while Haman is being hurt in his pride, Mordecai and all the Jewish people, their reaction is to humble themselves in the presence of the Lord. The reaction is to humble themselves in the presence of the Lord. So, uh, you know, just time out. Let's, let's stop our scenes. James 4.10, it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. Keep that in mind, because we're going to come back to that. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and He will lift you up in honor. Proverbs 29.3, it says, A man's pride will bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 22.4, it says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So remember who's Mor- who Mordecai was. Uh, he was the father of the queen. They just, nobody knew. You know, when they finally get to know, they finally get to know who he was until they get to chapter 8. After a bunch of other things go on. So, so the girl who was the queen, the king still didn't know who she was, who, who was, who was she descending from. Queen Esther heard about all this that was going on. The king loves her so much at this point and, and, and doesn't and those uh, doesn't know she's a, she's, she's a Jew. And so Esther sends messengers to Mordecai telling him, you and all Jewish people in the empire fast and pray. Fast and pray for three days. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord. So in verse 17 of chapter 4, it says that Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So he went and through the whole empire, all people, let's fast and pray for the next three days. This arrogant, this prideful guy, he's, he, he's manipulating things and he already had the king order the killing of all our people. So Esther comes before the king. In chapter 5, on the third day of the fast, after they fasted for three days, Esther puts on the royal robes, entered the inner court in the palace, and then he, she goes to the king, and, and then the king, uh, you know, the king was, um, uh, you know, he welcomed Esther and allowed her to, to be in his presence, because that had to happen at that time too. You, the king had to allow you to be in his presence. So he, he loved her so much that he allowed her to be in his presence. And so Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want? Queen Esther, what is your request? I will give it to you even if you ask me for half of the kingdom. I mean, this guy really loved this woman, right? You really love a woman. How does the song goes? Right? He was willing to give half of the kingdom to this girl. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? 
What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half of the kingdom. And then so Esther replied, uh, my king, uh, I'm not going to ask you for much. Uh, if, 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 if you love me, if you really care, if you really mean this, all I want is for you to come to my palace. I want you to come over and, and I will do a banquet for you, but make sure you bring Haman with you. Your second, your second, your right hand man. Bring Haman with you. And while they were drinking, the king said to Esther. So they went over. He took Haman. They went over. And while they were drinking and talking, uh, the king again said to Esther, "Now tell me. So now, now you, you, you spoil me. Now you, uh, you know, you did good for me. You fed me. You get me. You got me drinks. You treated me good. Uh, you must want something, Esther. And, and she goes, "All I want." Is if, is if I have pleased you, king, you will come back tomorrow again. Man, that was the second time Esther is asking. And the king says, definitely, we'll be here. So he, that means he really wanted to be there, right? So Esther, Esther just said, you know what, I, I, will, I, you know, I will be there. And, and, and she invited him again and Haman. And so in verse 9, Haman was so happy, it says, the text says, as he left the banquet, he was so happy. And, and I want you to pay attention because I'm going to read a lot right now. Um, and, and so I want you to read along with me. He says that it says the text that Haman was happy. But when he saw, when he left the palace of the queen, he saw his best friend outside. He saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him. So he, I'm not going to bow before you, Haman. And I'm not afraid of you. He had just humbled himself before the Lord. Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself and went, went on home. So then Haman gathered together his friends, right? Uh, you know, uh, when you read this, you got to be careful when you, uh, when you tell people so much, Oh, you're so good. Oh, you're so great. Careful when you do that. A lot of times we feed people's pride. And a lot of times we like, no, we just got to be positive with them. No, sometimes being, being a good friend, being a good person, being a good family member means to tell a person when they're wrong to. So he gathered his friends, he gathered his wife, and uh, in verse 11 it says that he boasted to them about his great wealth. Hey, look at how rich I am. And, and his many children, he had ten kids. So remember that, okay, because that's part of the story in the next scene. He bragged about the honors the king had given him, and he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. In, in verse 12, then Haman added, and that's not all, okay? Besides all the money I got, besides the fact that the king had, I'm the second man in power, Queen Esther invited me, only me and the king himself. Notice, notice that usually... Usually you put the other person first, right? And then you, you're second. It's the king and me. That's the proper way of saying it. It's not me and the king. That's how arrogant and prideful this guy was. He was even putting himself... So me and the king himself to the banquet. She prepared for us. And not just that, okay? The, I, the, I just came from there. But not just that. He invited me... To dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Man, I must be, I must be the man. Right? He is so arrogant. He is so prideful. And then verse 13, then he added, but this is 
all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, just sitting there at the palace gate. Still, he doesn't know who Mordecai is to Esther. Still not, not, he doesn't know anything. So verse 14 says that Haman's wife, Sarah's, and all his friends, like, you know, these were bad friends, giving him his way, right? Set up a, they just said, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. And in the morning, ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. Stick him up there. You know, just kill him. When this is done, then you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. And that, Haman liked that stuff. Oh, that's a great idea. Man, I want to kill this guy who doesn't bow before me. He disrespects me so much, right? That, that, and so Haman was ready to go ask the king. So he left right away. Notice this. Because mm. we, here we get to scene four. He's running to the palace, I can imagine. He's rushing to the palace and, and going to ask the king to kill Mordecai, to put him on that stick. So he went. So, but he had deal, he had made a deal with the king that all the Jewish people were going to die on March 7th. So, at the same time, you see this scene where Haman is running to the palace to see the king and asked to kill Mordecai. The king is, at, at, he's not at ease. He, something is bothering the king, right? This is nine years later after Mordecai saved his life. So that night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of history of his reign. So it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Tana and, Ter- and Terich. Two of the servants, the eunuchs, who guarded the door at the king's private quarters... They had plotted to assassinate the king's sources. So, the king said, wait, wait a minute, stop right there. He, he was just, you know, t- tell me, tell me, tell me a story. I want to follow sleep. He, he's like, read the minutes of the kingdom, right? Re- read the minutes of the kingdom instead of asking for a, a story, right? So, ha- have we ever done anything for this guy? It's been nine years, basically. And, he's, and, and the attendants reply, nothing has been done for him. So he like, I, I must have forgot that thank you car. And then he says, wait. But while they were reading and talking, he says, who's at the courtyard? Who's at the outer court? The king, the queen inquired. The king inquired. And, and as it happened to be Haman, who was coming to ask the king to kill Mordecai. And so, when Haman is arriving, so he tells the attendants, uh, you know what, bring Haman in here. The, the, the attendant said, Haman is out there, bring him in here. The king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? And so, it says, uh, verse 6, it says that Haman thought to himself, who would the king wish to honor more than me? Oh, man. Talking about, you see how we keep on seeing pride? We keep on seeing arrogance over and over and over. Who would the king, you know, wanted to honor more than me? He, so he replied, so he thought it was for him. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, 
This is what you we should do, King. Get your best clothes. Dress him like you do. Giving your crown, giving your horse, giving everything. To, I mean, this is a big deal. You know, do this and make sure that he takes a really nice ride all over the city. And one of your best guys should, should be there with him saying, uh, you know, saying basically, this is the way the king honors a man who he likes. And so the king... It says there in verse 10, Excellent! The king said to Haman, Quick, take the ropes, my horse, and do just as you have said for Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing you have suggested for Mordecai. So now Haman took the ropes and put him on Mordecai and placed him on the king's own horse. Guess who was riding Mordecai through the town? Who was pulling the horse? Who was shouting to the people, Mordecai, this is a man who pleases the king. This is the way the king rewards a man who pleases. It was Haman who wanted to kill the guy on the horse. Things didn't go according to his manipula manipulation. So, this is when these verses hit home. Humble yourself before the Lord. Mordecai had humbled himself before the Lord. And he will lift you up in honor. Now Mordecai was being up in honor. So when Haman told his wife, he came back and basically told his wife what happened and all of his friends. Now everybody turns their back on him. Oh man, since Mordecai, this is a man who has humiliated you and is Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plan. And it will be fatal to continue opposing this guy. While they were still talking, remember the Mordecai still had to go to one more banquet. I mean, Haman still had to go to one more banquet. So the, the king's servants came up and said, hey, hey, it's time to go. Let's go. Let's go, Haman. And so they take Haman. So sing number five. Sing number, sing number five. Remember how Haman was bragging about everything that he was at Queen Esther's table and all that stuff? So in chapter 7, verse 7, it says, So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet on this second occasion. While they were drinking wine, and, and, and the king again said to Esther, Tell me, what is it that you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half of my kingdom. So Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in you, if we have been sold, if me and my people would have been sold as slaves, I wouldn't come and bother you. But it's not just that. We, are, we were sold to be killed. And he, the king gets angry and says, who would, thus, who would have done such a thing? There's no way somebody would, would, would dare to, uh, to, to hurt you. You're my queen. So King Cersei demanded, who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Verse 6, it says, Esther replied, this guy right here next to you, the guy who just gave... Mordecai, ride on the horse. This guy right next to you is our adversary. 
And our enemy, Haman, grew pale at that moment, right? Oh man, it's everything coming wrong. Is everything going wrong now? He gets pale with fright before the king and the queen. And the king jumped off his, uh, to his feet in rage and went out into the palace garden. So I can, I can imagine the king wants to think he can believe what he's hearing. But up to this point, the king didn't know that Esther was a Jew. Haman, however, stayed behind in the palace. And he's begging for his life. And in, in the process of begging for his life, the Bible says that he fell over the, the couch where Esther was sitting. And at that moment, the king is walking in again from the garden. And as he's walking in, he goes like, so you dare? You want to kill Esther when I'm still here? He th- it was an accident, but he just basically, he was so arrogant and prideful, things did not go well for him. And I'm going to tell you something. Never, ever, ever, arrogance and pride will go well. Will never go well. It's so hard for us to learn humility. And don't worry, next week, this is too much for one week. Next week, we're going to do part two on this. So, but, but it's not going to be no more, no more scenes, so don't, don't, don't expect that from me. So then the servants of the king, verse 9, Harbona, one of the king's servants, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, in his own courtyard, he intended king, he intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then the king says, hang him up. Put him in that stick. The stick that he had for Mordecai, put him up there. The king ordered that. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. Amazing how pride can blind a person. Well, that's not all. To, to be able to finish, we need to finish with scene six. On that same day, the king gave Esther all Haman's property. And guess who Esther gave it to? To Mordecai. Right? So then, uh, after that, besides that, uh, now, he, also, he doesn't just give all the property and everything to Mordecai. The guy who was humble. But he also gives him his ring to sign for decrees. Now, he's basically taking Haman's place. He gives him his ring, and he says, and the queen says, King, there's a decree already. In March 7, a decree is going to kill all the Jewish people. And then he says, well, with this ring, you guys can undo that. I mean, it's it's still going to happen. I cannot avoid a decree, but you guys can make another decree. It's up to you what you guys do. So Mordecai and Queen Esther, go and make another decree. All the Jewish people, if you are attacked by the enemy, you have the rights to defend yourself and kill your enemies. Defend yourself. So the Jewish people were happy at this, and all the other people feared the Jewish people in these providences. Uh, and, and, and so, and everybody knew that on March 7, this was going to happen. So, guess how many people end up dying that came against the Jewish people? 75,000 people die because they have been influenced by an arrogant guy 
call Haman. Not just those 75,000 people. The Bible says, and I'm not going to be able to read everything now because it's, time is, is running. His ten kids also die. So his ten kids die. 75,000 more people die because they were influenced by an arrogant, prideful person. That's amazing. And then Esther said, you know what? Besides the the fact that we killed the ten kids, king, would you put them up on the sticks too? Just like their dad? Just to give everybody a lesson. So, then we know that Mordecai became more, the more, the more and more powerful. And I'm just going to finish with chapter 10 on, on, on this part. It says in chapter 10, it's a very short chapter. It's only three uh, verses. It says, King Circes imposed a tribute through, the, his, through his empire, even to the distant coastlands. His great, his great achievements and the full account of, his, of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Media and Persia. Mordecai, the Jew, became the prime minister with authority next to that of the king Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jewish who held him in high esteem. Because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. Man, what an honor. And what a difference between these two guys. And you see the, the end of one and the other one? So, what are some of the characteristics that you see here in a person who is prideful like Haman? I'm not going to go deep into this because next week we're going to talk more about some of this stuff. But, but one of the things that you see is that a proud person has to be better than everyone else. Well, when you find a person who's always trying to be better than everyone else, that, that is a person with a pride problem. A proud person is usually never satisfied. And, and next week I'm going to talk, there is a good side of pride. And there is a bad side of pride. Next week I'm going to explain that. So if you don't come next week, we're not going to record it. A proud person craves power. They want power. A proud person becomes God's enemy. And a pride makes you vulnerable to evil. What, what can we learn from this story of pride? Number one, we can learn that pride leads to conflict. Guess why you have problems with other people in your life? A lot of times we have problems with other people in our lives because of pride. Proverbs 13.10, it says, The pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise, but pride leads to conflict. And a lot of times I I have to have it my way. And when you get home and you want to have it your way, and when you get home and you have your kids, you have your wife, you have your husbands, and you got to have it your way, your pride will lead to conflict. I, I, I like to be the center of attention. You don't have to say that. 
But a lot of times we act that way. Remember what Frank Sinatra, one of the most famous songs, I did it what? I did it my way, right? And see, I struggle with this, I struggle with that, but it doesn't matter. I did it my way. I lost this, I lost that, I struggle, I, but I did it my way. I'm, by, I'm all by myself, and I lost everybody around me because of my pride, but I did it my way. Pride leads to, number two, pride leads to blindness. When, you, when we are so prideful and arrogant, we don't want to see what others see. We just want to see what we want to see. Proverbs 21.2 says, People may be right in their own eyes. So in my own eyes, I'm right. And there's one thing that has come up nowadays in society where people are like, no, it's just, you know, it might be wrong, but this is just the way I feel. Have you heard that before? I understand that's the way you feel, but it's just because that's the way you feel. Is that right? No, but pride tells us, no, but that's the way you feel, so it's right for you. What's right for you might not be right for others, but that's the way you feel. Let's not get confused with this stuff. Let's not get sucked by the society and the culture we're living in. Let's not lie to ourselves and say, just, this is just the way I feel. And so a lot of times we become right in our own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. The Lord knows exactly what's in our hearts. He knew what was in Haman's heart. And so pride leads to failure. So, conflicts in our relationships, blindness in a relationship with other people. Pride doesn't only blind you, pride doesn't only bring you conflict with other people, but pride will also lead you to failure. Failure. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord turns down the house of the proud. When we are prideful, we will fail eventually. Pride comes before, this, before destruction comes pride. You want to destroy a good relationship? You want to destroy a good marriage? You want to destroy a good relationship with your kids? Become prideful and think you're better than that. And you will, be this, you will destroy things. Pride doesn't just lead to failure, but pride leads to disgrace. Fail of reputation. Pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 11.2 Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Number five, pride leads to evil. You remember how Mordecai was manipulating things? Pride, uh, Proverbs 21.4, it says that uh, how the eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. You, you know what how the eyes are, right? It's like when somebody's like, hmm. I, I'm not saying, what's up? No. It's, it's like, hmm, I'm better than you. I'm looking down to you. That's me. Not just that, but a proud heart. And that leads you to evil actions. That leads you to evil actions. And so I remember in, 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 in chapter 9, verse 25 in uh, Esther, it says that when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire. So he had an evil plot against the Jewish. 
pride leads you to do evil things. Because you don't get your way. You do things that are not right before God. And you will be hurt. It will be interesting if it's only you who gets hurt when you get prideful. But we'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. In a moment. Number, number six. Pride leads to opposition from God. And we'll look into this more next week. This, this specific point. But Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination. A prideful person is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. If you become prideful, you're an abomination to the Lord. What does that mean? There is another word that is used in another version where it says that God resists the proud. The word that He resists, He opposes the proud, carries more weight than we think. Another word for that is, uh, the word that, uh, the, the synonym is, is, with the word oppose, is the word resist, right? So if you would see that God resists the proud, but shows favor to the humble, th- think about this for a second. In other words, God is not just staying away from you. No, God is, God is going against you. He resists. You make a resistance. You're going at, He's coming at you. With resistance. And a lot of times God does that because God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves or hurt other people. But because our pride hurts a lot of other people besides us. Pride leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 16, 18, it says the pride goes before destruction. So before you get this, so once you get things that are all destroyed in your life, your relationships, your jobs, and all of the other things that can get destroyed in your life, you got to take two steps back and look at what you did before, and I bet you you're going to find some pride there. Pride comes before destruction. And how does spirit before the fall? Pride destroys the individual, and often it destroys those around them. Remember Haman? was not only affected by his pride, just not himself. But in in chapter 9 of Esther, it says that Haman's sons were also killed. And they were hanged on a pole. Not because they did it, but because their dad did it. So a lot of times you think your kids don't get hurt when you, dad, mom, are prideful and arrogant. A lot of times out of pride and out of arrogance, we fight. And a lot of times parents tend to fight in front of their kids. A lot of times kids know every single problem parents are having because you fight in front of the kids. And your kids, through that process, your kids are listening to this. Your kids are, 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 are observing all this stuff and they're getting hurt too. And a lot of times it's like, no, I, I, we, we treat the other person like if we are enemies. How many families are destroyed because of pride? 
pride comes before destruction. So it wasn't just the ten kids. 75,000 people got killed too. Because of one guy who was prideful. How do you identify pride in your life? How do you identify pride in your life? I'm not going to give you the whole list. I'm just going to give you a couple of things. Do you find yourself talking, talking bad or low of others? Pointing at their mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. And all you do is point at their mistakes, but you never look at yourself. Now, have you seen such and such a person? Oh, they did this, they did this right, they did this wrong, they did this wrong, they did this wrong. But I do it right. When you find yourself in that position, you are being arrogant and prideful. God hates that. When you are always thinking about yourself better than everyone else. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, it says that we should look at others higher than ourselves. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. When you don't accept correction from others, that's pride. Because we're not perfect. We, we need to, at least we need to listen to people. But when you know you need help and you don't ask for it, that's pride. When you are always looking for your own interest and not the others before yours, that's pride. How, how do you fix this problem? You fix this problem with humility. So that's why we're going to talk a little bit more about pride and humility next week. But since we don't have time to talk about humility today, I'm just going to tell you one thing. And we're going to finish with this. You fix it with repenting. You fix it asking God for forgiveness. And if because of your pride, you damage a relationship with somebody else, you make sure you do your part in asking for forgiveness. I met people through counseling that have such a hard time. Sometimes it's so simple to tell somebody, I am sorry. I'm sorry I said what I said. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry. A lot of times people come and apologize, but they do it in a different way. I'm sorry I hurt you, but... <laughs> When you put a butt there, you, you, you ruin it all. Don't butt anybody. When you ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness for the part that belongs to you and shut it. Don't say anymore. I'm sorry. I, I asked for your forgiveness. I hurt you. I, I, I didn't mean to do it, but I hurt you. But I just want to say I'm sorry. Can we, can we put this behind us and move forward? But it's so hard for people to ask for forgiveness. Repent. Fix yourself before the Lord. And go fix your issues with other people. If they don't want to fix it with you, then that's up to them. But do your part. As, as long as, belo as it's up to you, 
the Bible says, as long as it's up to you, you go make it right with others. Do your part. If they don't want to make it right with you. You know what? I did my part. I humbled myself before the Lord. I did my part. Repent. But if you want to talk about humility, scene number seven. Next one, I'm kidding. No more scenes. But next week, we're going to talk about praying humility. Because one of the things that is hard for us as human beings is to be humble. And a lot of times we confuse humbleness and dumbness. Being humble is not being dumb. But a lot of times we confuse those things. We, we, we think people, we think a person is humble just because they, they don't say anything. But man, they have so much rage in their heart. That's not humbleness. Humbleness is different than that. But we'll talk about that next week. This week, our job is to repent. Fix it. Try. Do your part. And if that person doesn't want to talk to you, then, then just let it go. Respect that. Respect that. But at least you try to do your part, the part that belonged, that was up to you. Father in heaven, we want to thank you, Lord, for this day. We want to thank you, Father, for your word. We want to thank you, Father, for this amazing illustration in the book of Esther. How amazing it is how pride can blind us. How amazing it is how other people can get hurt because of what we do. So, Father, help us to understand how many people have we hurt? How can we do it better? How should we repent and strive to be humble? Learn to be humble because to be prideful is our nature. To be humble is our growth in Christ. Help us. Because pride comes before destruction. We don't want to be destroyed. We don't want to see families destroyed. We don't want to see single lives be destroyed because of pride. We want to see people being built up in you, Lord. And so we pray that you will help us do these things in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.